0: About he, he was that size. Uh, maybe he had a beard, just like my son does. That's pretty cool. Uh, by the way, if you, uh, I usually try to bring you a, a visual aid. I didn't. Uh, didn't. Ha- didn't bring a picture, mainly because I think babies are gross. But, uh, but <laughs> my son, uh, my son is here, and he's he's in the back. He's a cute little thing. So if you want to see him, you can. He's he's swaddled right now by his by his mama. Um, but I, I will say this. I don't know if it's because I had, like, I kind of love my childhood, and I, and I really do feel for people who. who don't think back to their childhood with great memories. Like I had a great relationship with my mom, great relationship with my dad. Had really everything I needed in life. And then, you know, most of the stuff that, that I, you know, I needed and wanted, like a new pair of cleats or a soccer ball, like I, I was able to have those things. And so I was just very fortunate. And my dad being a pastor, so we weren't exactly rolling in money, but we had a lot of love in the home. And, uh, and, and enough that, that I remember from, a, from an early age, About the time I outgrew action figures and cartoons, I really looked forward to whenever I had a son, uh, not so I could play with toys and watch cartoons again, but I looked forward to to trying to create as good as my childhood was for my son. And so, believe it or not, uh, since I've been a little kid, I've uh, prayed for my wife, I've prayed for my children, I mean little bitty, like eight years old, I'm talking young. Uh, I remember going for walks with my dad in the neighborhood, describing what I thought my wife would look like and describing the house that I wanted to live in. And, and it was always like a one-story house with one of those giant plastic mailboxes. I don't know, they were popular back then, I guess. But, uh, but I wanted one as a kid. I thought they were cool, mainly because they were just so big you could put a lot of presents and stuff in there at Christmas, I don't know. But, but I remember describing that to my dad. So from an early age, I've, I've thought about my wife, prayed for my wife, thought about my children, prayed for my little son, and my little daughter. And when my wife and I found out we were expecting, boy, we, we were excited, both of us, extremely excited. And then when I found out that we were having a little boy, now, before you throw stones at me, a little girl would have been fine too. Ultimately, we were just praying that the child be healthy. That's what we wanted. Gender, we could really care less. But, and Lord willing, we'll have a daughter one day. That'd be wonderful too. But when I found out I was having a son, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I didn't even hear the rest of the voicemail from the doctor. Like, we just, like, I ran upstairs, hands in the air, and I was happy. Like, I was overjoyed, really. Because now I'm starting to think all of these things that, that I want to do with my son, it's looking like it can be a reality now. So I was just very, very thrilled. Um, and I started thinking about the, the, the kind of worldly things that I want to teach my son. Like how to kick a soccer ball correctly. You know, How to drive one to the back of the net. How to form tackle somebody. He needs to know these things, right? Like how to use a gun, how to use a, a pocket knife. Uh, I look forward to, to showing him that. Uh, and then from a like, from the more um, spiritual side of things, like I look forward to just studying the scripture with him. Telling him about God about the amazement and the wonder and the majesty of our Savior, of God. can't wait to show him biblically, hey, this is what a man is expected to, to, to be, do. This is, this is how a man lives his life. I want to show him biblical manhood. And I hope that he has examples of that in his life. I look forward to family dinners where you can bring your kid, and, and, and I just look forward to hearing him profess uh, Jesus Christ as Lord, Lord willing that happens one day. Can't wait to see God reveal more of Himself to me through my son. I look forward to all that. Now, before you know the service ends and you come yell at me that I don't you know don't wish it away. I'm not wishing it away. I love this stage as well. Like he hasn't had a dirty diaper yet. The kid's perfect. He's Like 14 days old, and you know just he's, he's incredible. But I will say uh, we haven't checked. I don't know maybe just we haven't checked since, since we've had him. Uh, that's not true either. He's a typical little boy, but uh, but I would I, I am excited about just the possibility of of. All that is to come with my son. But cards on the table early. Um, I don't wait very well. right? So for the nine months, as soon as you find out you we were, we're expecting, I went from excitement to I just hope that the baby's healthy and I hope that the mom, that the mom, mom is healthy as, as well. Like I hope my wife is okay and I hope that my son's okay. And then as it gets closer and closer, you start realizing how many things can go wrong. So the angst and the anticipation, is, it's, there's joy. But there's still a lot of I'm ready for the son, I'm ready for my child to get here. I don't know if like, we're ready or not, housewives. But but like, I was just ready for my son to get here because I was tired of the what-if scenario if something could go wrong. And so with all that said, I want, to, uh, I want to talk this morning about waiting since we're in the season of Advent. It's the first Sunday in Advent. And really want to ask the question, do we wait well? You know, do you wait well? Do I wait well? Do we have any eagerness, anticipation, or excitement for not not necessarily the birth of Jesus, because that's already happened. But the second coming of Christ. But we'll get back. We'll go to before Christ was born. We'll we'll study that a little bit. Focus on that a little bit this morning as well. But I want you to start thinking about waiting. And do you wait well? Do I? Do we? Do we wait well? Um, again, cards on the table. Um, I don't. I can wait well if I have to. Right? But I don't like waiting well. And here's what I mean by that: When I'm hungry, or sleepy, I'm impatient. Patience is out the window. When I'm ready to eat, I want to eat now. I don't want to talk about it. Let's, let's, let's come up with something to eat. And when I'm sleepy, I don't want to talk. I want to go to bed. It's better for everybody if I can eat or go to sleep when I'm hungry or when I'm tired, much like my 12-day-old at this point. But I like Chick-fil-A. There's nothing wrong with it. But when Chick-fil-A has cars wrapped around the building at lunch, and then right across the street, there's a restaurant where there's nobody. Right? Like There's tumbleweeds going across the parking lot just right across the street you better, you're kidding yourself if you think I'm going to wait in that line. Like, that's not, and I love a chicken sandwich, but I'm so impatient, I feel like we can make progress if I just go over here, right next door, and a roast beef or a hamburger is just as good as that sandwich. But if there's no line, sure, we'll go. That's just me, like, I can wait, if if my only option is the restaurant with cars around the block, then I'll wait. But if there's other options, I do not wait well. So if you don't wait well, you're in good company uh, with me. So with with that in mind, we'll we'll pray, and then... uh, then we'll get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. We'll pray, then we'll start the sermon. And uh, let's pray. God, thank You for um, opportunities to wait. Thank You for uh, the eagerness and the expectation. God, I pray that we have that uh, for the second coming. God, would You speak now and move me out of the way? I pray I'll go as far as You allow me to go and no further. Would You give me the discernment to know when to press in and the discernment to know when to relent? God, I pray above all things, you are glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first glimpse of the Messiah, the first glimpse of a Savior, actually comes in Genesis 3. Now if you're familiar with, with the Scripture, familiar with the creation account, and then here's the Garden of Eden, and there's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they had it pretty well. There's perfect peace and perfect shalom, perfect relationship with God, walking in the cool of the, of the day with God. And then Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and because of that, now all of creation, the cosmos, it's all fractured. Things are kind of thrown off a little bit. And so now they realize where they were walking... Uh, guilt-free and, and with no shame. They're walking completely naked. Now there's shame and there's guilt in the world. And there's sin in the world. And so because of this, you know, God says to Adam you know, that, that you will not only will you work, now you were working before the fall, but now when you, when you work and you try to cultivate the land, it's not always going to produce food for you. It's not always going to produce something fruitful. Now it may produce thorns and thistles because of the fall. Right? To Eve, you know, there'll be pain in, in childbirth now. Because of the fall. And then to the serpent, he says these lines, or this line, in Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring or seed and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first glimpse of a Messiah, first glimpse of a Savior. And so it's not like after the fall, it took a couple hundred years, a couple thousand years for God to say, hmm, I guess we should do something. So God's plan for restoration, renewal, redemption, and reconciliation of all creation to Himself, there's a glimpse of it in Genesis 3. We see a couple pages later, God begins to give you another, starting to pull the curtain back and gives you another line referring to the Messiah and referring to the Savior. In Genesis 12, 3 and in Genesis 18, 18, God says this to Abram. Calls him Abram and changes his name to Abraham. This is what he says. He says, And all peoples on earth, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, God says to Abraham, And through your offspring, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. Now, Paul tells us in Galatians, We're going to go through a couple of these scriptures, by the way, then we're going to tie them up here in about four minutes. So bear with me. In Galatians 3, Paul says this, in three verse eight, Paul says that the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. 3:16 of Galatians, Paul says this, "The promises that were spoken to Abraham, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say "into seeds," meaning many people, but "to your seed," meaning one person who is Christ." So we understand now, being on this side. Of, of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that this promise that was given to Abraham was the Gospel announced in advance. And so when he was putting his faith in God, he was putting his faith, when Abraham was putting his faith in, in faith in God, he was putting his faith in the promise of God. And the promise of God was that through your seed, referring to Jesus, all nations will have a shot at reconciliation to me. Through your seed, referring to Jesus. Not in through your seeds, not even through your descendants, not through your offsprings, through Jesus, through one person, through your seed. And so Paul tells us again in Galatians that this promise was referring to Jesus. It was the uh, gospel announced in advance to Abraham. Second Samuel 7, 12-16, this is God's promise to David. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And again, that's God's promise to David, King David. A couple of books later, you will get to Isaiah. These two passages should be very familiar for us at around this time of year. Isaiah 7:14. Prophet says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Uh, chapter 9: For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now it's interesting that he says Prince of Peace here, because the the nation of Israel has known nothing but slavery or war since the time God made them a people. Now here's Isaiah saying he's he's going to bring peace to you. If you put your trust in this Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he will give you eternal peace. This is spoken again to a people who have never known peace. It continues, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here's what we see. Let's recap what we've read. Here's what we see. That God will save us. So from the moment that things kind of went astray, God has a plan for redemption. So we know that God will save us. We understand that the king... Or the Savior will be a king and His kingdom will reign forever. We then understand that the king will be a child and the king will be God with us. That He will be God in the flesh. When the king comes, the king will be God. So God's not just going to raise up a king. God's going to give up Himself and that king will come in the form of a child. And then that child will be our Messiah, our Savior. Now here's what's interesting. Abraham lived approximately 2,000 years before the Son of God, Jesus was born. Some say 2,000. Some say 2,100. So that's why I say approximately 2,000 years. So the promise that was given to Abraham that through your descendant, or through your offspring, through your seed, all people will be blessed through you. This promise was given 2,000 years before the baby cried. So think about it, if you hear this promise, and so you tell your, you, know, you hear a promise from your great grandparents that, that God's going to save, and He's going to save through a child, and then you believe that, and then you pass it on down to your children, and then your great-grandchildren, they pass it down to their, next, to their great-grandchildren, and then on and on and on, generation after generation, how quickly do you think you would lose faith that the Messiah wasn't going to come? There's 2,000 years of this promise being passed down from generation to generation. The promise from God to David, that, hey, the child's going to come through your lineage, he's going to be a king through, through you, that promise was spoken 1,000 years before Jesus was born. All right, so we're getting closer, but still 1,000 years before we see the, the Christ child born. Isaiah, when he says, the virgin will be with child, and, and for, for unto us a child is born, Isaiah lived approximately 700 years before the Son of God was born. Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament, it has four chapters. The final chapter, verse 1 of the fourth chapter, says the day is the day of the Lord, and it says, surely the day is coming. So surely the day of the Lord is coming. He's going to come. God's promised. And Isaiah says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So it's up to God to accomplish this. It's, it's, on, it's all on God. It's God's responsibility to make good on His promise. And then Malachi, the prophet, says, surely the day of the Lord is coming. And then for you and me, we turn a page in the Bible. It's one page, really. Usually it's an empty, it's a blank page. I think in the Bible's in front of you, there's a couple of pages. But there's one page in our Bible. And that page for us is just one turn of a page. But for the Israelites, that page represents 400 years from the time Malachi made the comment, surely the day of the Lord is coming. It's 400 years until the baby cries in the book of Matthew. And while the people were waiting, they hear this for 2,000 years, and while they're waiting, there's war, there's famine, there's plagues, there's death, sickness, disease, injustice, oppression, there's demonized king reigning and ruling. There's wickedness, rebellion, cities and empires are falling apart. God's prophets have been preaching repent. Some prophets have been false, you know, teaching and preaching, saying peace, peace when there was no peace. And while the people waited, they put their hope in the promise of this Messiah. And so I, I, I know that clearly some people did not give up their faith. They continued to pass down from generation to generation the promise of God. But I just wonder, would my faith have been rattled in that? If I kept hearing, oh, gosh, it's been 2,000 years since we've been passing this down. When is it going to come? Why is he delaying? Why is it taking so long? Like perhaps you would have wrestled with that too. And so do we wait well? Some of us, absolutely, I would say yes. Some of us, like me, no. And we doubt in our waiting, and our doubt turns to disbelief, and we lose hope in our waiting, or we abandon all hope in our waiting, and we can grow frustrated in our waiting. And the root of all frustration is unmet expectations. So when we get frustrated, it's because we had an expectation of something that went unmet. And so the root of your frustration, even with yourself, is because you have an expectation that you're better than what you are. But you can you can just white-knuckled grind your teeth, I can be better. And then when you fall, when you struggle with sin, there's guilt and there's shame because you had this expectation of yourself that, that was not reality. And an impossible expectation. And you didn't meet that expectation. The reason that we get frustrated with other people, the reason we get frustrated with the church is because we set an expectation that the church had better meet for us. We set expectation for our family of how they better act around us. And then when they don't, we get frustrated. And for some of us, we're frustrated with God because there's things that He said He's going to do that He hasn't done in our life. Right? And so we're frustrated because we feel like God has abandoned and He's broken His promise to us. What have you expected God to do for you that He has not done for you? How has God failed you? What did God say, this is what I'll do for you, only to not do what He simply said He would do for you? And also you have to ask, did He even say that? Because there's this prosperity gospel that goes around that says, if you'll just give your life to Christ, if you'll just obey the teachings in the Scripture, God will bless your marriage, He'll bless your health, He'll bless you financially. Now can God do that? Absolutely. Is that promised in the Scripture? Absolutely not. So the whole point of the gospel is that our reward is, is God, not stuff. It's not better health. It's not more years of living. Our reward is God, not something else. And then in our frustration, we'll throw our hands up, we'll sling our heads back, and, and we'll give up our hope. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. David says this. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now this is a pretty nice little coffee cup I mean, this is a, it's a beautiful verse. It's a great verse. But if you only hear that verse, it's easy to assume that David wrote this uh, from, a, from a position in life and from a posture where he was just kind of killing it in life, where things were already good. It's kind of like the whole honeymoon stage where it's easy to tell your spouse you love them on your honeymoon, right? It's easy. Tell me you love me when I've been diagnosed with cancer. Tell me you love me when I lose my job. Prove you love me. Show me you love me during the difficult seasons. Everybody can say they love you when you're just looking at the ocean. So we tend to think that that when when we read through these words from David, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord, that he was just killing it in life. Well, I'll tell you, if you read Psalm 27, it's just 14 verses, but in verses 2 through 3, you'll discover that David was pursued by his enemies. In verse 4, you'll see that David was shut out of the house of the Lord, shut out from the temple. In verse 10, that David had been forsaken by his own father and mother. So he was parting ways with his mother and father, completely forsaken by his parents. Verse 12, you see that David was the subject of slander. So he's not you know, sitting with a nice view, with a cup of coffee in his hand, just you know, smoking a pipe, relaxing, wrapped up in a sweater on a chilly day. And that sounds nice, but that wasn't what he was... I mean, he's on the run. People wanted to kill him. It's been forsaken by his family. has been subject to slander, his best friends. Were, hey, 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 if you're, people are trying to kill you, I can tell you where to go, but I can't do life with you anymore. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything not going right, but in the midst of everything going wrong for David, David says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart and wait. Wait for God to flex, wait for God to move, wait for God to show up. And if you're familiar with David and, and the Psalms, David kind of has this ongoing conversation with himself, where he'll even say throughout the Psalms, "You know, hey, why is my, oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your faith in God. You know, wait for him. Be still and know that he is God. Wait for the Lord. And so are you waiting for the Lord? Are we waiting with any eager eagerness, any expectation for the Messiah to, to not only come, because he's already he's already come in the form of, of a baby. Right on cue, that's my son. But are we waiting for the Christ to, for Christ to come back? You know, do we do we even see a need for Christ to come back? Now do you see yourself as being desperate for the Savior. Oftentimes it's easy to just feel like, I don't really need the Savior. I have fill-in-the-blank. I have my health. I have you know, this. I have a relationship with God, so I'm okay. I can, I'm type A. I can obey what the Bible says. I don't struggle with the things in Scripture, so me and God are cool. We're all right. You know, do we have any dependency on Christ? Because if you don't, then you're certainly not going to celebrate the birth of Christ because you don't see, you've already don't see a need for the Savior, so you're not going to worship that the Savior came because you don't see a need for the Savior. So do we see any need for, for the Christ child? And we, we have the promise that Christ is returning. In Revelation 19, it's pretty. I, mean, it's, I think it's a real cool passage, but some people can interpret it as kind of scary. Revelation 19, we see that Christ is coming back, and when He returns, He won't be meek, and He won't be as an innocent little baby. He won't seem helpless. He won't be dependent on anybody. He's not going to come back as a baby. In fact, Revelation says He's going to come back riding a horse, his name will be faithful and true, he'll have a tattoo on, a thigh, on his thigh, he'll have a sword hanging out of his mouth. He'll come, to, he'll come as a warrior bent on conquest to claim what is rightfully his. He's going to come and make war with his enemy. And again, ultimately, he's going to claim what is rightfully his. He's coming back for victory. And some of the uh, texts say from, from Revelation that there'll be blood in the streets up to the belly of the horse. Personally, I kind of think that. Like, I don't know if that's literally or not, but it sounds cool to me. To me, it means that hey, when he comes back, he means business. Like, that's our Savior, not some weak and meek man. Like, our, our God, man. He's, 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 he's a God who's a warrior God, bent on conquest. And that's the God, that's the Christ that's coming back. So let's not misunderstand when he comes back the second time. But my question is are we waiting? Do we have any expectation? I mean, what if my, I mean, I heard from my great grandparents. That, that Christ was coming back. And I'm going to tell, Lord willing, I have great-grandchildren, I'm going to tell them about Christ coming back. I want to pass that down from generation to generation, and I want to wait for the Lord, I want to be strong, take heart, and I want to wait for the Lord. And I don't want to start doubting, why has it taken so long? It's been, it was 2,000 years from the promise to, from A- to Abraham to the time Jesus got here, and now it's been 2,016 years from the time Christ was born. So I don't know when He's coming back. I don't. But here's, but here's what we'll say, and really nobody else does, not even the Son, but here's, here's, what, here's where I'll kind of end it, or start to land the plane, I guess. And some of us are living our life like the Lord's not coming back, or at least we're living our life like we're not going to stand before Him. And He may not come back in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean that I won't stand before Him whenever I depart from this earth. So do we have any eagerness to stand before Him? You know, do we rest in the atonement when we stand before Him, or do we think we're going to put some resume in front of God Here's all the things I did for the church. Here's all the tithes I gave. Here's all the times I went to the Philippines. Here's all all the letters I wrote for people. Those are good things. What's wrong with those things? But do I think I'm going to put some resume before God when I stand before Him? Or will I rest on the atonement? Will I put all my faith and all my dependency on on the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ? And then finally, Acts 10.43, Peter says this to those gathered at Cornelius' house. He says, all the prophets testify about Him, referring to Jesus, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. So I kind of end with this. Why is it so difficult for us to receive the gift of God? To receive this little baby that was born? Why is it so difficult for us to receive Christ? And to, and to rest in the atoning work on, on, the, on the crucifixion, death, and resurrection? Why do we feel like now we have to perform and, and, and be good enough? Why do we struggle when receiving the gift of God? Like I believe it's because for many of us, we don't see ourselves as good enough. We don't see ourselves as, as worthy enough for, for the Son of God. That may be true, but how, but how much more beautiful does it make God that, that, you know, that God didn't love us because we were lovable, but He loved us because He is love. Right? He didn't save me and save you because of our awesomeness. He saved us because of His awesomeness. Like How much more amazing does it make our God that even in our hypocrisy, God is still long-suffering with us? And I think that's our problem is too often we have our eyes set on ourselves as opposed to seeking the cross and seeking the manger, seeking Jesus. So as we sing one, one final song and close, do we wait well? Are we waiting well? Are we waiting for the Messiah to come back? Do we see any need in our lives for the Messiah to come back? And this December, this Advent season, this Christmas season, can we fix our eyes on Christ and get our eyes off of us? Can we worship God and praise God for giving us of Himself? For giving us His Son? Let's pray. God, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit. God, thank You for the promise that You will come. Lord, You've never failed us. You've always been faithful to us. God, forgive us for when we have failed You. Forgive us for when we've grown frustrated with You. God, help us to place our trust and our faith in You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.